May 27th, 2022. This week of Gemara learning was donated in memory of Albert Bero Shehebar Abraham Ben Mazal Tihinishmato Serura Bitsror Hayim Amen. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Dafayin Aleph Amud Aleph. And in the wide lines, I guess the most easy way to do this is if you find the Mishnah and then the Gemara the second time in the wide line. So if you count down from where it says Gemara, just a few words into the line, you count down five lines down and it's two words before the end of the line. I know a little complicated, but we're smack in the middle of the page. The best way to do it. It's the second to last word is Keman. Keman Azla. You see those words? Keman Azla, according to whom does the following statement go? Does it follow? Keman Azla had the Tanya. Whose opinion would this Beraita, Tanya, follow? What's the Beraita stating? The Beraita says, Ben Soreru More lo haya velo atid lehiot. The statement is, Ben Soreru More, which is clear in Sefer Devarim, Parashat Kitese, Ki Yeleish, Ben Soreru More. So there is such a circumstance, at least in theory, lo haya velo atid lehiot. It wasn't, and it will not be. Not that it's not in the Torah, but in reality, it has not and will not exist. So then why was it written in the Torah? Says the Beraita, it's in order to, uh, to extrapolate, in order to interpret, and in, in turn to receive reward. What does that mean? Well, we mentioned at the very end of the class yesterday, Rabbeinu Behayen is commentary al Torah, but just paraphrasing it and perhaps shifting it a bit, the concept uh, about this, with regards to this, much as many of the mitzvot of the Torah beyond their reality, beyond their physical existence, about which we would say, listen, there was a joke after class, maybe Shabbat is just theoretical. No, certainly not. However, beyond the physical reality of each of these mitzvot and averot and circumstances of the Torah, there's something that underlies them. There's values, there's ideals that we're to derive from them. And as a result, ben soreru more, the concept of the Torah beyond it actually existing, that's the idea of derosh vekabel sachar. For example, Rabbeinu Behaye says, it's to teach us about the value, the ideal of Ahavat Hashem, to love and to be loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu above all else, so to speak, would transcend my relationship with my child. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands me in this circumstance to look at the child and envision them and see them in such a fashion, so that's how I see it beyond my relationship with my child. Does that mean, practically speaking, physically speaking, I'll end up killing my child or letting my child be killed? Statement is, Lo haya velo atid lehiot. But the ability to, to sacrifice of my own mind, my own spirit, my own soul for that, well, that's the idea in the Torah. It reminds me as well, you see, Ramban Nachmani in his commentary on the Torah in Sefer Bereshit more than once has this comment. He says, avot siman nabanim. He says that the actions of the forefathers is in turn something that will lead the children in the future. The idea being Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were not just historical entities and realities. Their actions were an actual impetus and change for their descendants which means to say you'll find parallels in the Torah, you'll find parallels if you look carefully in your own life to the life of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov because they embedded within our metaphysical DNA as a nation of Am Yisrael the ways of our Avot. Well, the question I remember once being posed was, Akedah Yitzhak, where do you find the parallel? What's Ma'aseh Avot Siman Nabanim Va'akedah Yitzhak? Is that really what the Torah is telling me? Ramban is so keen, he's so careful to always remind us, Ma'aseh Avot Siman Nabanim, the reason this happened to us, he'll point is because Abraham set forth, he trailblazed that path earlier. Akedah Yitzhak, 
And perhaps the answer, and I think I once saw this in, in a book of uh, my father's rabbi, Rabbi Soloveitchik, perhaps the answer is that the idea of committing myself, of sacrificing of myself, of being able to say that my love, my loyalty, Takadosh Baruch Hu, transcends all else, that's from the Akedah, which means to say perhaps not physically, the idea over here being that it's not going to and did not happen, but nonetheless, the value that's imbued within us, and we mentioned yesterday, the idea as well of addiction, you can learn, I mean, again, that's what the Torah is there for. The Torah is there beyond instructions with regards to physical activities and thoughts and approaches. It's really just to give perspective beyond all else. Anyway, says the Gemara Keman, whose opinion would that be following? That it never happened and it will not happen, it says the Gemara Kirbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, would be the primary opinion we could point to as he who would tell us that it didn't happen and will not happen. Who was Rabbi Uda? Rabbi Uda just a moment beforehand had paid attention to the fact that the Pasuk says, Kolenu. The parents are to say, This child has not listened to our voice, not voices, Kolenu or Kolotenu with a Yod, but rather our voice. They have to have the same voice same height and same complexion, not going to happen very quickly. Bah, if you recall, said impossible, perhaps. And as a result, the Bihuda, who says the parents need to resemble one another so much, he's the opinion who would tell us, lo Says the Gemara, Alternatively, it's Rabbi Shimon. Even Rabbi Shimon, not only Rabbi Yehuda would agree to this sentiment of Ben Sayyidon More didn't happen, won't happen, Rabbi Shimon would agree as well. Is it possible that because this child is indulging in this pleasure activity of eating and drinking, even stealing in order to get it, we're killing him for that? I mean, I, I don't know. It's not the Torah I know. It's not the one I'm familiar with. We generally imagine and understand this midat rahamim v'kadosh baruch hu. He might have a deen which comes out, but rahamim, at the very least, justice, righteousness for a child because he stole once some meat, some wine, and indulges, we kill him. Says Rabbi Shimon, and in turn the Gemara attributing it to Rabbi Shimon. It never happened. It's not going to happen. There are too many details that are inherent to this episode that won't be matched purposefully. So why is it there in the Torah? Says the Gemara, finishing these two Biraitot, the statement of Rabbi Shimon, that of Rabbi Yehuda and the Biraitah, which we attributed to him, Amar Bionatan. Rabbi Yonatan is not one of the Tanaim. Anything he's about to state, we would imagine, will accord, will not disagree with the Biraitot we saw beforehand. When we're dealing with Emoraim, rabbis from the time of the Gemara, we don't assume that they're disagreeing with the Mishnah of the Biraitah. Says Rabbi Yonatan, what are you talking about? Ani re'itiv, I saw him. V'yashafti al-kibro, and I sat on his grave. One second, Rabbi Yonatan. Are you disagreeing with the Beraito? I mean, maybe he is. Maybe there are different opinions. After all, the Gemara started with the words Keman Azla. According to whose opinion would we state? Which means to say there is a dissenting opinion. And Rabbi Yonatan is just voicing that and saying, I actually saw Ben Soreno More. I was on his grave. I saw him, so to speak. I saw his uh, deceased. Uh, so I saw him dying as well. Maybe. 
Um, alternatively, there's a, there's a different approach, Rabbeinu Behaye, in that same commentary, Al-Hatorah, and it's expanded by some of the, uh, some of the Aharonim, Hatam Sofer, and others, suggest this is not a reference per se to disagreeing with what we said earlier, that Ben Sorel More never happened and never will happen. So what's the statement? The statement is, I was present by a child who I watched his development, and that development, we didn't kill him but I saw his terrible ending in the natural fashion, come on again, and in the natural fashion, which means to say, I saw him without us taking the law into our hands like the Torah seems to tell us to do so, but look at his ending. In other, in other words, it's, a, it's validating the concept of the Torah. The Torah is telling us in this context, be careful with the children. Understand that their tendencies from a young age will be telling, and as a result, have your priorities set straight. So someone like, if I remember correctly, the example is given Abshalom. Abshalom, who from a young age is a wayward child, is a child who seems to be going off the trail of straightness, seems to be indulging in the pleasures of life. He, ultimately speaking, has a terrible ending, independent of treating him like a Ben Sorero More. Says Rabbi Yonatan, I've seen people like that. You have too. You've seen those destructive adults who meet that terrible ending because we didn't treat them accordingly. But look at the truthfulness of the Torah, which tells us to treat them in such a fashion. It's not to say that we will and have done that. Certain things we don't do. It's reminiscent again of Ayin Tahatayin. The Torah says Ayin Tahatayin, an eye for an eye. Ibn Ezra quotes from one of the Geonim, maybe Rabbeinu but we won't actually do it. The Gemara in the eighth Perik of Masech says we don't take an eye for an eye, as Hammurabi's code perhaps would want us to. The Torah doesn't want us to do that. So why state it as Ayn Tahatayn? The suggestion of many of Ibn Ezra from Rabbeinu Sa'adiyagon is in value. In, in ideal, your eye should be taken out. You take out someone else's eye, you deserve an eye for an eye. But practically speaking, it won't work out. We'll try to take out the eye, we'll end up severing other nerves, and we'll end up putting the person who took the other person's eye out in a more dangerous, precarious situation than that which he did to the other person. It's, uh, you're not going to medically uh, remove the eye in such an easy fashion. As a result, mamon, it's so to speak a concession to reality. So why write it in such a fashion? Values, ideals, do you know what you just did? Ben sorero more, be very careful. Be very sensitive to the actions. Because, says Rabbi Yonatan, I saw the outcome when I know we can't deal with it, but look at the truthfulness of the Torah. Along, along the lines of this statement, there's a well-known commentary here. If you look at that little um, circle next to the word V'yashavti al-Kivro, that little circle leads you to the side where it says Gilion Hashas. Gilion Hashas was written by Rabbi Akiva Eger. Rabbi Akiva Eger was the rabbi of Posen some over 200 years ago. And uh, he has very often, very brief and to the point comments. And over here he just writes, Ayen Shulchan Aruch Resh Siman Shin if you were to look up Shulchan Aruch over there, you'd find that you're not allowed to sit on graves, that you're not supposed to benefit from even the dirt with which we cover the deceased person, person who's buried in the ground. That's what happened. Rabbi Yonatan is sitting on the grave of this quote-unquote Ben Sorero More, who either literally was killed in such a fashion or the way we're suggesting from Ben Abahaya and others, I just ended up dying. But the statement is, I sat on his grave. The suggestion of many is, Yashavti al-Kibro need not mean I actually sat 
on his grave. I sat close to his grave. Sometimes we'll lose, use that lashon of al, al yedeh, next to. And as a result, there's no difficulty per se with that statement. So don't be overly literal in your vision of him sitting on the tombstone or something like that. He's sitting next to it, maybe biri It Says the Gemara onward, now that we're talking about circumstances which the Torah describes, but lo lihiyot, I have one or two others. I have two others, says the Gemara, where we talk about such concepts. These are all important for the same reason. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm just going to state it one more time. The idea being in each of these, maybe we'll talk about the value in one or two of them. In each of these, the Torah describes a reality which although we will not find in the physical reality of our lives the concept, the ideal, the vision, the message of the Torah is there and needs to be understood. And that's what we learn from those words. Derosh, interpret it, kabel sachar, and be rewarded. Again, it's a point we've made in the Gemara on many occasions. The only way to be put to death, we have an entire Masechet Sanhedrin, which is dealing with death penalties. They were rarely, if ever, putting anyone to death. You needed two witnesses to be warning this person and the person to say, I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it anyway, and then you put him to death. I, you know, I don't know about you, but if I decided to be Mahalil Shabbat and Stanley and Jeffrey come up to me and decide to give me a warning, I'm going to say to them, please take a hike. I'm not going to say, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm accepting the death penalty, so then I'm not being put to death. So the whole Masechet, in a sense, is... It's not to say you won't find a deranged person, a person who's rebellious, but we have an entire masechet. This is a point I've mentioned more than once. It's made by Chaim Simon in his book, Halacha, the rabbinic idea of law. And that's the point of the book. He says people get confused when they study Gemara and they don't understand how this practical, how's this something that I'm going to bring to my own life. The answer in each of them is you need to be finding the derosh v'kabel sachar. What's the value that the rabbis, the hachamim, that in turn the Torah is looking to impart to you beyond, not separate from, but beyond the little interpretation. Says the Gemara, Keman Azla, according to whom does the following statement accord? Had the Tanya, the Beraita states, Eid Hanidahat, Lo Hayetav, Lo Atidalihiyot, Velamma Nichtav, Derosh, Vekabil Sachar. Eid Hanidahat described in the Torah as well. A circumstance where the entirety or majority of a city worships Abu Dazara, and the Torah says that what you have to do with such a city is you do saif, you behead all the inhabitants, and all shilala, all of the possessions, is burnt. Well, that being the case, that's a jarring circumstance. Imagine a city which is absolutely decimated. We have to commit a genocidal activity to this not race, but city of people who are worshipping Abu Dazara and get rid of all their possessions, uh, that's, that's a pretty crazy circumstance. Says the, says the Beraita, never happened, never will happen. Keman, according to whom does this accord? Now, after all, in order to make that claim, you'll have to argue, you'll have to set forth a reason why there's, so to speak, a loophole from actually affecting this. We had that by Ben Soreiro More. By Ben Soreiro More, the parents need to be the same height, the same complexion, and the same uh, pitch of uh, voice. Over here by Eid Hanidacha, they just need to be worshipping Abu Dazara. I mean, we've heard of cults in the past, have we not? There are terrible circumstances where people get caught up in something. Imagine back in the day, not too long ago, in the small, my grandfather tells me about in Egypt, there was the old quarter. Old Quarter was pretty small. I can only imagine. It's a terrible circumstance. There's some preacher who walks through town, gets the majority of them to be Oved Avodah I mean, it's a crazy thought, but it could happen. Why can't it happen? Says the Gemara Keman, could it be 
Eliezer, we can attribute such a statement to Rabbi Eliezer because Rabbi Eliezer has a qualification. He has a restriction for applying Ir Hanidahat. What's that? The Tanya, the Beraita, tells us separately Rabbi Eliezer, Omer called Ir Shiyeshpa, Filum Ahat. First the law and then the interpretation to the law. He says if there's even a single mezuzah, says Rashi, if there's any sefer, if there's any humash, any sefer Torah, any Judaic book, we'll talk about in a moment how he knows that and what the reasoning for this is. If that's present in any of the homes of this city, well, we're not killing the people, we're not burning their possessions, we're not treating it as an irhani dahat. Well, that being the case, if you're dealing with a Jewish press, especially we can appreciate this today, but I imagine we could appreciate this always. Mizuzah was always a marking of, of a Jewish presence. Now, not per se during times of persecution would they have it out on their front door, perhaps. I don't know the history on this. But certainly, Mizuzah was always something we've always held steadfast to. For Harambam, it's the ability to look at the Mizuzah and be inspired by our Kabbalah, to Shamayim, to awaken ourselves to a straight path in life, to uh, awaken ourselves from that spiritual slumber, so to speak, like the shofar, Harambam has it as a constant daily engagement with the mezuzah. Look at it and awaken yourself to it. There's always going to be a mezuzah, says the Gemara. Bili Ezer would tell you, even if there's that cult-like activity, even if someone's uh, getting the people to Abu they still have their mezuzah on the door. What's the reasoning for Bili Ezer? Just by the way, his statement was, if there's a single mezuzah, Rashi extended it, if there's any Sifre Kodesh, you're not doing Ir Hanidahat business to them. Amar Kera, the Pasuk states in the context of Ir Hanidahat, Ve'et kol shelalah tikbots el toch rehova, you're to gather all of the possessions into the, uh, the street of the city, Ve'sarafta ba'esh, and you are going to burn them by fire, okay? Maybe you're gonna do that even to a mezuzah. You're not allowed to do that to a mezuzah to sifre kodesh vekevan iika mezuzah. And since iika ika means yesh, since if there's a mezuzah la efshar, you're not able to. It's forbidden under all circumstances to burn a mezuzah or any sifre kodesh dichtiv. After all, the pasuk says lo ta'asun ken la donai elohechem. Says the pasuk says in the context of entrance into Eretz Yisrael, Moshe speaking in sefer devarim ta'am Yisrael, and he tells them when you come into this land you're going to see all sorts of Mizbehot and Asherahs and all sorts of Abu Dazara and you want to know what you're supposed to do? Titotun, you're supposed to destroy the Mizbehot. You want to know what you're to do with the Asherah? Tisrefun Ba'esh, you're to burn them. And then he stops for a second and says, but don't do this to your God. Don't do this to your God. The idea being under no circumstances are you allowed to take God's name and burn it and destroy it. As a result, says Rabbi Li'ezer, if there's a filu mezuzah ahat and we know you need to take all the possessions and burn it, but you're not allowed to burn a mezuzah hot. It's lo ta'asun ken ladunai eloechem. As a result, lo hayav lo atid lihiyot, says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yonatan. Wow, here's Rabbi Yonatan. I don't know, some period he lived in. Ben Soreno More and Anir Itiyah. I saw Ir Hanidahat. Ve'yashavti al tilah. And I sat on its ruins. That's the statement of Rabbi Yonatan, which again could be interpreted in the identical fashion the way we interpreted it beforehand. He describes a terrible circumstance. He describes not per se an actual Ir Hanidahat that took place and he saw it being killed and burned and so forth. After all, Rabbi Yonatan is not really living during such a time period. Rather, he looked at a city that, tra- that descended into the depths of terribleness. Ah, do you need to look much further than, what was it called? Jonestown. Look at the circumstances of 
cult-like activity, and look how they all ended up taking their own lives, how they ended up self-destructing. Maybe that's the description. He says, you see, the Torah had something to it. When people set themselves in some sort of maniac activity of uh, public avodazarah and uh, rebellious, uh, rebellious activity, they'll end up destroyed. Perhaps that's Rabbi Yonatan's interpretation over here as well. Says the Gemara, we have another one of these. Lo lo atid So what we have been, according to whose opinion will the following statement accord. Had the Tanya, the following Beraita, Bayit lo lo atid The Torah, Parashat Mesorah, Tazriya, describes this uh, affliction, this, Ill, this affliction known as Sara'at. In addition to being on people, this leprosy, if it's on a home, well, there's all sorts of laws of how to take apart the home and how to deal with the home. Okay, well, the statement over here is that circumstance where the house actually was afflicted with sarat and the Kohen needed to come and deal with it and treat it and take it apart never happened. So why is it written in the Torah? In order to derive a reward. What sort of reward do you have from reading about the uh, Very simply, Harambam describes this about generally speaking Tuman Tahara. What's the idea that underlies Tuman Tahara? In its general sense, the most general sense, it's a mindfulness. If I am now mindful about what I'm touching, what I'm coming into, uh, into, uh, in, into contact with, I'm now a more mindful person. I'm thinking about my surroundings, I'm thinking about myself, I'm thinking about my relationship with people, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kohanim are nizhar to be more mindful than, well, me and some of you, because some of us are Kohanim. For what reason? They are tasked with more of a mindful activity in the Mishkan and a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu for us. Well, anyway, that could be the vantage point for why is it written, look in the Torah, understand, your home can be a place in which you lost proper perspective and vision. Yes? Wasn't there a story where the house contained a gold or money inside? In a Bayit HaMenugah? Is that so? I don't know. The Gemara will have a different story. I don't know that one. In a Bayitamenuga. If you'll find me, it will add it. I don't. I don't know about it. I mean, I've, the Gemara will quote their own one. I. I trust you. I don't, I don't think you're making it. Says the Gemara that the Gemara will have their own same type of thing. The Gemara will go further, and it's it's to your point. In other words, until now, I've been able to say about it's really Hatam Sofer Rabbeinu Behaye that Rabbi Yonatan didn't actually see it per se, but he's describing a circumstance. Over here, the Gemara will have an actual place that it will say, you know, we know about a place. So Jeffrey's going further. He says there's some midrash in which they actually found the place and they ended up discovering some sort of treasure and gold there. But it'll, it, it won't contradict our Gemara and its final lines over here. Keman, This would be following the opinion of who again minimizes the opportunity for there to actually be a bayit menugam. Just like we had by Ben Soreiro More, the opinion of Biuda. So too we had by Yair Hanidahat, the opinion that mentioned that the only way you're going to have it would be the Ezer is if there's no mezuzah. So over here as well, it's going to have to be some sort of nuance that it's rare that you're going to actually find the Bayaminuga. What's that opinion? Ditnan, as the Mishnah tells us, Rabbil Azar Birbi Shimon. Rabbil Azar Birbi Shimon's statement goes as follows Omer Le'olam en habayit tame ad sheyerae kishte grisin al shete avanim bishte ketalim bekerem zavit. Here's how it works. If you have a home 
and the home is going to be a bayit it has to be specifically that this nega is found on a keren zavit. Keren zavit means in a corner. I'm sorry, if, um, I don't know. Corner right over there. So it needs there's two walls adjacent one to the other. So here, just look in the words again. Is the measurement for tumah? I think it's a split bean of some sort. Okay, whatever. It's a measurement. We say kazait in the context of food and those sorts of measurements. Sometimes kabeza. When you deal with uh, tumah and tahara, you talk about a grease. So that's the measurement. It has to be the size of two gerisin, these two split bean sizes. Al shete avanim. So it needs to be on two separate stones. Here we are in the corner. One stone on this wall, one stone on this wall. Bishte ketalim. So it's a stone on this one and a stone on that one. It can't be a ridged stone that's just one stone, one rock. Bekeren zavit. Here in our corner, you have one rock and one rock which are placed next to each other. Um, and orko, uh, the, the length of that of that tum'ah, uh, that sarat, needs to be kishne grisin, the size of those two split beans. Virohbo, and the width in turn needs to be kigris, one giris. Okay, those are just details, but the specific details with regards to our hard to imagine cases, that the way you're going to find this nega, this sarat, is that it's on a keren zavit, in a corner, with this minimal size of shnegrisin berohav vigris beorech, we imagine that's not going to, or never did happen. And as a result, says Gemara, this opinion might be the opinion we're referring to earlier when we had a beraita that said, but now, just technically speaking, where did Bilazab Shimon come up with such opinion? On the one hand, the pasuk in the context of Baita Menugav, a home which is afflicted with sarat, says, it talks about a wall. Uchtiv, and alternatively, the pasuk says, Kirot, it says it in plural, walls. Which one is it? One wall or two walls? Well, it's got to be two walls, which seems like one wall. A corner is the closest you get to a one wall, two walls. How so? Well, after all, it is two walls, but they converge. Where do you have one wall, which is like two walls? That's the corner. And as a result, the statement in turn is, would be our opinion, who perhaps would suggest that based on his opinion, yeah, of course it is. Of course so it why, is. Why, why is it so hard? I, I don't know. I imagine it was just very, it, it certainly is today. I mean, we see, we, I guess you have mold and mildew oh, growing on walls. Exactly. But, we, but so... well, you imagine, this is my guess. I, I don't know. Um, my guess is that we're dealing with an affliction which is generally speaking, and until today you can imagine or we know of, at least in theory, leprosy growing on people. For leprosy to grow on walls, I know you're going to bring with some Google research that I'm wrong about this, I think it's rare to ever exist. That it exists and it grew from one wall onto the other wall, I think the statement of the Gemara is it's hard to believe. On this one, more than on the other ones, the Gemara will negate it and say, no, 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 but we've seen such a thing. And maybe it's not that they saw it per se like this, but we did treat such a thing. Tanya, the Beraita says, Amar That's a different opinion. Not Rabbi Al-Azabir Bishimon, but Rabbi Al-Azabir Bishimon, Sadok. Makom Hayai tells the following. He says, there was a place, Bithum Aza, in the uh, vicinity of Aza, Gaza. And they used to call it 
the destroyed, closed-off place. Closed-off place is because it's considered minugah. Why was it destroyed? Because they left it and had to destroy it. By minugah, that's what you do. In other words, don't you know, I remember that place, I saw that place, that's what they used to refer to it. Again, it's lore and legend, it's not per se that he saw it, but that's the way they used to refer to it. His assumption, probably for good reason, is that was an actual bayit minugah. Amar bishimon ish kefar ako, says bishimon of kefar ako, pa'amahat, you know what happened, one time, halakti la Galil. I went to the Galil. Veraiti makom oto, and I saw a place where they were marking it off. The Gemara in several places has a marking off. In several places, Masech Bava Batra, and elsewhere, the Gemara describes Masech Ketubot describes different emoraim who are marking off caves. We talked about this on Shabbat a few weeks ago. The question is why you would mark off a cave. So it's different opinions. Cave meaning a burial place. A cave. So one of two reasons, Rashi, Rashbam, and others suggest the reason they're marking it off is to keep Kohanim away from there. Marking it off, this is a burial place of righteous people, but Kohanim need to stay away. Alternatively, it's a burial place of righteous people, so everybody's going to want to pray over there. That's how Ya'avit suggests it. Regardless, the point is they would mark off places that were Tameh, according to the majority opinion. This Gemara clearly is stating they marked off that by Minugai area, stay away from there. Everyone, not only Kohanim, the Amiru, and they used to say, they were saying as they were marking it off, Avanim menugaot pinu lesham, they moved stones, rocks, which were menugaot, which had this affliction of tzarat, which means to say, he says, I witnessed the circumstance where there was a bayit menugah. How would you counter that if you were the beraita, in which you say, lo hayav, lo atid lihiot? You probably would say, yeah, it was, it was walls that had all these growths on them. It doesn't mean al pihalacha, according to the Torah, it was a bayit menugah. It means it was all messed up house, and they knocked it down, and they brought it over there to get it out of the way. Regardless, this is the Gemara's conclusion of those three cases of lo hayav, it says the Mishnah here at the bottom of the page on Dafayin Aleph. Hayayahad mehem giddim. Mishnah continues to describe the circumstances, the halachot, the laws which surround Ben Soreiro Moreh. And now it describes the parents. We talked about the parents just a few moments ago in terms of their height and their voice and their complexion. Now says the Mishnah, if one of the parents is missing an arm, giddim, or higir, missing a leg, or ilim, or they're mute, or suma, or they're blind, or heresh, or they're deaf, in any of these circumstances, if even one of the parents has one of these uh, situations, enona asa ben sorero more, the child is not considered ben sorero more. Why not? Sheneemar, after all, the pasuk says, veta fesu bo avivimo. First and foremost, the pasuk says, the parents grab the child. How do you grab the child? Just with one hand? The assumption is you grab him with two hands. If one of the parents is missing a hand, an arm, he's a gidem, she's a gidem, velo gidmin. That's what the pasuk says. Now, Rashi points out in the Gemara, we'll, we'll note this, the entire pasuk of grabbing the child and speaking to the child and dealing with the child is all what's called miyutah. The pasuk in the Torah is extra. What the Torah could have stated was, if there's a ben more. He's killed in Beitin, Chalash, Shalom Yisrael. That's the normal way of describing things. If this happens, you put him to death. Instead, the Torah says, if there's a Ben Soreiro More, and the parents talk to him, and he doesn't listen to them, and they grab him, and they come to the court, and they say to the court, all those are extra details in order to derive, perhaps, these sorts of laws. Now, keep in mind, each of these laws, again, leads us on the path of what we just talked about earlier, Lo hayav lo atid lihiot. Not only do the parents need to be the same height, and the same voice, and the same complexion, according to the Biudah, the Mishnah now is telling us, seemingly according to everyone, they can't have any of these abnormalities. So, and then the Pasuk says, and they'll take him out. 
to the Sha'ar Mekomot, to the Sanhedrin, to the Bedin of their city, and they'll speak there, and they'll deal with him there. But wait a second. How'd they take him out? It sounds like a regular exit. A regular exit means neither one of them is limping, neither one of them is missing any legs. Yes, Charles? Interesting point. What if they're both missing a hand? Then could you have it? I hear you. Uh, uh, the, the answer might be, so Charles's question very briefly is, we saw earlier in the Gemara, in the Gemara, that Kolenu taught us, according to the Bihuda, that they need to have the same voice and the same complexion, same height. He says if they need to have all those same things, and we learned it all from the same voice, then, then they have to have all the same body attributes. So if one of them is deaf and the other one's not, they're not the same. If one of them is missing a leg and the other one's not, they're not, they're not the same. Perhaps, best answer I have for you, it's a great question, is that that was only according to the opinion of Bihuda, who makes that dirasha. This Mishnah is saying it according to everyone. But yes, it, it then begs the opposite question. Then how come the Gemara, when it said, who would say that Ben Sorer lo hayav lo atid lihiot? Why doesn't it say this Mishnah? This Mishnah is just as good, it seems to be according with it. Don't know. All right, so, uh, so again, Vehosiyoto velo hagrin. The Pasuk says, and they'll take him out. And the assumption is neither one of them is missing a leg. They're walking out with him in a regular, normal fashion. The Amru, and they'll say, well, how are they saying? Velo ilmin. It has to be that they're both saying. It means that. Uh, as Charles said, they have the same pitch of voice. I mean, at the very least, they have a voice. I mean, so it's got to be. That was Rabbi Huda takes it a step further, that even if they're able to talk, even if they have all these things, they need even more than that. Benen Uzeh, they'll say, this our son, Velo Suma. And uh, by saying that this child, and whenever the Torah uses that lashon of zeh, we generally speaking assume they're pointing to it. How do you point to something you don't know is there? It means that you're not blind. This child, how are you pointing? You don't know what he looks like. It means you can't be blind in this situation. Continues the pasuk. This is all derashot for how we know the parents need to have all the regular uh, standard attributes. He doesn't listen to our voice. And it means, in turn, that they're not mute. Excuse me, it means in turn that they're not, uh, I, I said just a moment ago, uh, yeah, not blind. And over here, means, and they're not deaf. What does it have to do with deaf? He doesn't listen to our voice. That doesn't mean that they're not deaf. You can talk when you're deaf and the other person can hear you. So one of two things, Yad Ramah suggests, if it says, it means that as they say it, the other one is listening. Each one of the parents hear it. Uh, I come in front of you and I say, my wife and I have realized that our son doesn't listen as we talk to him. It means that I listen to my wife as she speaks to him and she listens to me. And Enu Shomea Bekolenu means not only do we realize the child's not listening to us, but we realize he's not listening to us because we know what the other person's saying. Clearly, we're not deaf. One interpretation, Yad Ramah. Rashi alternatively suggests, he says, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch. Rashi knows this. He states that. He says, but it's a pasuk, which is miyutah. The pasuk is all extra to begin with. Perhaps the understanding over here is, why does the pasuk at all say, Enu Shomea Bekolenu? must be that we hear him 
listening to us and say, eh, not interested. We heard him say not interested. If we don't hear him say not interested, we don't know. Of course, his actions could portray that he does not listening to us. Okay, it's Okay, that's Velo Harashin. Matrinbo concludes the Mishnah over here and says they have to, the parents give a warning, We'll talk about in a second, but first the hatra. What sort of warning is this? Generally speaking, a warning needs to be when you know the person's about to commit a sin. Over here, it's what's called a hatraat safik. You don't know that he's going to steal. You just know he's not listening to you. That's not a hatra. It's not a warning for ben sorero more. What's more is we learned in the past on daftet, if I'm not mistaken, that the matrin, the people who issue the warning, are supposed to be the witnesses. The parents can't be the witnesses over here. So how are they issuing the warning? Says Rashi, this is not a regular hatra. Says Rashi, this is a derasha in the pasuk in the in the, in the, in the pasuk v'yiseru oto. And the understanding of the rabbis is there needs to be a quasi warning. It's a warning of the parents. They need to rebuke him, less a formal uh, hatra warning that we have generally speaking in order to punish. What's bifneshelosha? What's what's three people? We always say you need two witnesses. What's with three? The Gemara will ask that question. The Gemara will suggest it's a warning in front of two, and then they grab him and bring him in front of a betin of three, because the initial stage is in front of three, because umalkinoto, the betin will then give lashes to this child. So again, what's the way it works? We spoke to the child. We warned the child in front of two. We grabbed the child, we brought him to a court of three, and that court of three in turn gave him lashes. Where do you see in the Torah that he give lashes? The Gemara will have a derashah from the Pasuk of V'yiseru Oto. Says the end of the Mishnah, Hazar V'kilkel, if the child, even after getting the lashes, continues in his wrongful activities, he's still being gluttonous, he's still stealing in order to eat and drink. Nidon B'yisrim Shlosha, that's stage two. Stage two, stage three, one sec, sorry. We now take him to the Betin of 20, 23 in order to put him to death, give him sikila. You need a bit of 23 for that. Yes, Charles. So how do you get so specific? It says, Again, the Torah. No simple answer to that. But, well, I, no, no simple answer to that. I will tell you, I'll remind you, our Gemara had the words keman azlaha detanya, according to whom will this opinion accord, which means, as I said at the beginning of the class, it's an opinion. We might have a different opinion. Alternatively, and this is hard to fathom, but I'm telling you, the entirety of Masechet Sanhedrin has intricate details, many of which, most of which, will never happen. Why go through the details? The minutia oftentimes is what leads us to value interpretations. We're not always going to get there, but that's the point of it, at least in my understanding. They needed witnesses? They needed witnesses. That's our Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Matrin bo bifne shelosha. The hatra'a is in front of a crowd. The understanding is bifne shenaim, and then you bring him in front of shelosha. The Gemara will say that explicitly. Yes. Says, lastly, says the Mishnah, ve'enon iskala ad shiyuhusham shelosha harishonim. And the way he's going to get sekila, is going to be put to death, is you need those initial three who were in the first court. Remember the first court? They gave him the lashes. Then he repeated, you brought it to the court of 23. You need those first three to be present as part of the last group of 23 they say this child what do you mean this child never met your child no this is a child you met in the past remember when you gave him lashes in the past same child the same one you lashed in front of you now I need you to be part of a court of 23 which means to say all of these details intricate 
minutia, one after the other, in specific details and directions. And the only way you'll actually have Ben Sureiro More is if each and every one of them is matched and fulfilled. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.